Welcome to the Geek Sweat Podcast. We, we watch, watch films, films to save you hassle. It's another podcast with a filmmaking twist just for you. I am TJ and we will be bringing you hot topics in the film industry, inspiration interviews with IMDb listed filmmakers, review sweat on online series as a stream, trailer talk on upcoming feature films and cult TV perspectives on classic shows worth revisiting. Between your ears and our voices, we take this opportunity to make the most of our podcast technology from CastBox, a new app that's available via android for your podcast and entertainment needs it's the one-stop shop for taking your podcast on the go and you are tuned in to a new episode of hashtag inspirational interviews we are joined today by someone very special very colorful (laughs) lots of credits at imdb lots more than me Yes, I do have a few uh, IMDb. What's that Hungarian film? That you no, got? no, I was I was in the same film as a Hungarian female actor, Kata and that's Saba. like what was it? Thirty places below. <laughs> <laughs> because I was an extra. Calm down. <laughs> I want to find that film though. Let's step back. We're joined by someone extremely special, Babette Phillips. Hello. <laughs> Hi. Guys, you, you could have like. Let us say hello first. That was like kind of toxic of you guys. Yeah, we we we, we That's some toxic your masculinity right there. You can say hello again, Babette. Hello. Sorry, that was we'll some aggressive clapping. Yeah, yeah. Like, some aggressive clapping. But yeah. I'm here. Thank you for coming in. No problem. Thanks for having me and in uh, and sharing this safe space with us. We, Wait, it's a bank. It's a bank. It's literally a safe yeah, space. Hey, we should be recording this. I don't think your press recorded on that. Um, I did. Oh, you did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, this is. Fantastic, um, what's it called synergy. We've actually got a safe house directly behind you because there's actually a, a locked vault door that's actually open. Thanks for explaining us. the joke. <laughs> <laughs> for, for, any, um, yeah. for any safe fans out there, it's a chat with Milner. Ooh, yeah. chat with Milner. Yeah, if we've got mm, any okay. safe anoraks, um, yeah, uh, that's one for you. Um, so, yeah, again, thank you for joining us today, Rebecca. Um, we, we've got a, a number of questions, and I'm going to let. Um, King Dom, come in and swoop and save me from this very bad introduction. <laughs> all right, let me, let me save you. Thanks for coming, Babette. Thanks for having me. First of all, I'm going to take you like way back. Um, what was your first childhood film that really hit you and inspired you? I think that might be um, Amelie. <laughs> really? Yeah, it's, um, it's my favourite film and I just loved it. I loved the colours. I loved her and it's just, yeah, it's just so much about it. It's just so, I mean, it's in French, so I don't have to read subtitles because I'm half French. So that really helps. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm a big fan of Jean-Pierre Genet who directed it and a lot of his films I love. So, but Amelie, I think, is his kind of brightest and just, she's so lovable. So I just, yeah, that so- kind of got me into it. How old were you when you saw this? Um, I probably wasn't that young, um, but I I remember watching it in France. So I might, might have been maybe like 12 or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something like that. And you were like, wow, I never knew films could be like this. Yeah, I guess so. And it's, it's just really playful. And I quite like films when they're playful. And so just loved it. Nice. So when did you realise that you actually wanted to do this as a career? Do you know what, I don't really know because, so I went to school, I spent half my childhood in France and 
the French don't really encourage a creative path. They, they are very, very academic. And so, um, so it, wasn't, it wasn't kind of like a choice that I felt like I had. But then when I moved to the UK, you get to pick what you can do. So like in GCSEs, I got to pick. And like in France, you very much do, you know, the basics, you do all of the kind of, you know, the main ones, you do the maths, the science and everything until for like maybe like A-level time. Whereas in the UK, you get your GCSEs and your A-levels and you can pick specific subjects that you want to concentrate. And that's when I went more the media studies and the film way. And that kind of to me was like, yeah, that's definitely something that I love like you can create whatever you want to you can film whatever you want to you can tell whatever story you want to and I just really liked that aspect and um the other thing that you did you chose to be an editor so why editing so I went down the kind of editing route I mean it kind of not I mean I tried going on set and on set is quite intense and it's very sort of like everything has to be done here, right here, right now. Whereas editing sort of the post-production side is to me a lot calmer because you get given the rushes, you're not on set, so you don't know the whole madness that's going on set. So you're in a kind of different environment, you're in a calm environment to me. And you kind of are given the rushes and you have to work with what you're given instead of on set, you know, you might be like, oh, well, if... If we don't shoot that today, we can shoot it tomorrow. Or like, you know, if we don't get that shot, maybe we can get this. You know, whereas when you get the rushes, that's what you get. Play with that, work with that sort of thing. And to me, that's kind of like magic because you're like, okay, well, we've got to make a show out of these rushes. And I think that's great. It's kind of limitation, like finding the creativity in that. I mean, it's not limitation because obviously they're, they're very scheduled and they film what the script, so they know what they're filming. But you know, once you get all that, you work with what you've got. And I just find that great. Love it. So what's the most exciting part of being an editor for you? So I do VFX editing. So I worked as sort of a VF, um, an assistant editor and then sort of moved to VFX editing. And I love that because I'm not an editor. And I don't think, because as much as I love post-production, I don't think I can edit and I mean maybe I can I I don't know but like so uh, hang on how do you mean by edit so like because I feel like especially like now I've worked with so many different editors and the way some of them cut is so beautiful and so in tune and so amazing that you kind of look at the stuff that I've actually cut and you're kind of like well that's nowhere near as good but that's your style surely yeah and then and I know there's different styles and stuff but what I like more is watching people edit and watching how they edit and then like taking and I guess enhancing it with the VFX so like my job is kind of like kind of co-side with the editor to make this show great sort of thing so I don't cut it I sort of help them put in the VFX so I talk between the editor and the VFX company and discuss what VFX we will put in the show but I don't actually cut it but I still feel very much part of the cutting experience so I really enjoyed that because I mean I personally don't know if I can cut very well so they do that job and then I get to like you know experience it and enjoy it and do the VFX that I right, love. Right but is that something that you would maybe think about in the future? No, I think VFX is definitely the way I want to go. That's I love VFX. That's worked out for you. Yeah, it's definitely worked out for me. 
Brilliant. So, um, can I ask you a couple of questions? First of all, because um, we're going out to listeners um, from different backgrounds, maybe film fans. What are the kind of mistakes that amateur filmmakers make when they're editing? The thing is, it's not really a mistake because I think the thing with like when you start making films yourself, like there'll always be something you you learn and you will do better in your editor. Because I do it in my job now, like I'll do a job and I think in hey, my next job I won't do that because that didn't work out. So like the whole thing, like I'd encourage anybody who makes films just to make, just keep making films because the more you make, the more you learn. And then for the next one to just make it better and better and better. And then, cause you can get stuck in like a rut and like stuck in this kind of making this thing, trying to make it perfect where really you, you don't have the resources to make it perfect, but the more you hack at it, the worse it gets, or not the worse, but like, you know, the more you think about it, the more you kind of crush it. Whereas if you've done a film, you've made it and you've shown it to the world, then go on to the next one and use the mistake, the things that you think didn't work so well in that one and move it on to the next one and just learn from your mistakes. And they're not mistakes. They're just going to help you make the next one even better. Right. So what about your own journey? Did you make like um, lots of films by yourself before you became a professional VFX? Babzarella. <laughs> oh my God. What was I that? forget Stephen watched all my films that I've ever made. Uh, um, so, yeah, um, I went to uni, but prior to going to uni, you obviously have to write like a personal statement and they do want some examples of stuff that you filmed. So I took a gap year and filmed some stuff like Absarella. Um, okay, you've got to t- you've said the title. You've got to tell us what this is. Uh, so actually, this was on a. I think this was like a school project, like a college project, and um, I was like, it's like the your, your typical kind of fairy tale, Godmother and the Prince Charming, something like that. Yeah, but it was really funny because it was shot, shot in his like really crappy, like, you know, like the family cam videos that you have. So like the quality is really bad and like it's just like really like grainy. And then there's one bit and I absolutely hate it when film do it. But like there's like a split screen and it's like four different like shots of me. Wow, just that's being pretty ambitious. You had like limited Shortcuts. materials, but you were doing like amazingly ambitious stuff. Yeah, I don't think it was ambitious. I was just trying to maybe be creative but and you know when you're like you use like a program which is like prom, like um like the cheap ones the free programs and it's like you can spit it into four and you're like oh that sounds great <laughs> i mean i didn't do any like star whites or anything because i really do hate those but yeah I although just, there's a place for them isn't there yeah star wipes yeah i mean if i was doing something like set in the early 90s i'd definitely do a couple of star yeah. wipes no i think true i think if it's done well yeah. what is a star wipe when you go from like one shot to another, but like you use a star to re- reveal the next shot. Oh, wow. And so when Star Wars do a lot of that, but they do like the wipe. Yeah, because they do like a full screen wipe, yeah. don't they? From left to right, don't they? Yeah. But only when they change the location. Okay. Doesn't, yeah. I've always thought that that, that, um, that wipe yeah. always suggests that what's happening is happening at the same time somewhere else. That's how uh, I read it. Yeah, yeah. 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 No, yeah. that makes sense. Okay. <laughs> um, so you started in Babarella. Yeah. <laughs> I started, directed, and. and it's called Babarella. <laughs> Babarella. How many actors were it's, in it? There was three. <laughs> how many? How many characters did you play? 
I played just the one. Yeah. Just I was Barbarella myself, and then I got my uh, best friend to do the fairy godmother, yeah. and then uh, I got my boyfriend at the time to be the milkman, who then becomes my Prince Charming. Oh, this is this is proper thought out. So yeah. is that a play on words from Jane, the Jane Fonda film Barbarella? I mean, it's nowhere near as good, but um, yeah. yeah, I guess so. Cool. <laughs> Oh, excellent. That's really good. It's a cult uh, classic. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. Where, where, did, where did you watch this, Stephen? <laughs> Stephen somehow got access to all my uh, short films. How did you get access to all my short films? Ben probably gave them oh. to me. Yeah. Oh, so you can't find it on YouTube or anything like that? Oh, no. No, no. It would not oh, be on no, YouTube. No, 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 no. <laughs> no. I like to forget that I, they don't exist, but I know Ben's got them somewhere. And he won't let me delete them. What's the other one? Oh, squirrels. squirrels. I hate squirrels. I hate squirrels. Because yeah. I do hate squirrels. So I, went, <laughs> I, was, I was filming a load of squirrels in Battersea Park. Yeah. And then just cut in loads. Just, it, it took a really drastic turn. <laughs> Did they attack you or something? No. What, what's, what's when this? I was little, um, I, I, in Greenwich Park, they took my biscuit. Oh, was that it? So they didn't bite well, you or anything? no, but that's pretty traumatic as a child. <laughs> no, it was like a squirrel heist. And shifty. If you looked at squirrels, the way what, they move is really shifty. What I thought is that you fell unconscious and then when you woke up, there was like 10 oh, no. wow. squirrels. Oh, my God, if that happened, no, I would literally Because squirrels, die. They, eat, they eat meat, squirrels. Do they? Though. Yeah. Well, they eat biscuits, that. that's for they sure. Eat I did not. Well. No, yeah. Although it's obvious now you say it. No, they eat meat. So I yeah, they eat nuts. Oh, goodness. Yes. Amongst other things, but they do eat meat as well. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I thought that would be more traumatic. Like you woke, um, you woke up from no. a drunken stupor and like I they mean, were eating your leg or something. be very close to squirrels. <laughs> okay. So it would be okay, pretty difficult for but me. But if it was more than one squirrel, that sounds like it was a plan. Like there was a mob of biscuits. Well, they're really shifty. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're onto something. Was I it like a van, just a small van parked around the corner of the uh, park? You only think they're shifty because of that Rick and Morty episode where the scribbles. <laughs> no, but you know the thing when they move, they're so like the way yeah. they move is so. Yeah, they do look like they're planning stuff. I love scribbles anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but that Rick and Morty episode just yeah really cemented yeah, yeah, ideas it, it, that it I confirmed had. for you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yes, it did. Justified. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I I do feel like the biggest danger we've got is going to come from seagulls. If you ever go down to Brighton, they've just got out they of band. They do attack you. Yeah. Are they so big? Mm. But What's they that about? Seagulls are getting bigger. But they rarely come inland, don't they? They uh, do come for the chips. Mm. How often do they come in? Like, uh, uh, how many seagulls what, you have you ever been to Brighton? They just walk around brazenly now. Oh, no. well, well, in like other to... coastal towns, even we... not coastal towns. Yeah, like, seagulls are like of... the foxes of coastal towns. But even like we used to have London. seagulls in Worcester, and that's not near any coast. That's, like that's why I said that's... foxes. Foxes, they're not just hanging out in the. Uh, in the forest now, they're out walking in between cars and stuff like grabbing chicken boxes. That's because we're building on their land. Making their land. <laughs> Are they landowners now? Yeah. No, but you know what I mean. It's in the constitution. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back to you, Kingdom. <laughs> okay, so back to, <laughs> back to our interview. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that nice I little digression. Is that, how did I start? Was that the question? So. Um, yeah, some time ago we were talking about the films you made before you became a professional VFX editor. So, yeah, so did that. And then at uni, obviously, you do little films. And um, especially one where I did some VFX in. Didn't I, Stephen? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Called Smoking Man. Smoking Man. Which was all Stephen's idea. It was all my idea. 
but you didn't actually want to do it. Not at all. <laughs> do you want to elaborate on this, Stephen? Oh, no, it's just, um, well, because we had to do a, a group, a kind of, you know, we had to have all roles each, so director, um, editor, effects person, and um, cinematographer. And I, I was turning up director. We all had to pitch an idea, and I just pitched an idea about a guy who could stop time with his cigarettes. Which was a really silly idea. I never thought it through any more than that, really. And then I wrote a script, which really wasn't very good. And then we filmed it. Um, yeah, but yeah, the whole team did really well, apart from me, because I didn't write it very well. That's the. <laughs> what what uh, would have been? But for for me, yeah. What if you a guy who 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 smokes cigarettes sped up time because you know they say like cigarettes takes two minutes of your life each time you, uh, you smoke we could have gone down the health route yeah it takes like five minutes to smoke a cigarette but yeah so <laughs> you, you take away you, you forward by 10 minutes yeah, and, yeah. like that perhaps if I'd actually given it any more thought than the, than about the minute I gave it before yeah. I pitched it <laughs> that might have worked but uh, I'd put no work into that at all I'm very ashamed of that so, so you ended yeah. up filming it? Oh yeah, yeah we, we made did it, it. and yeah, then yeah. I did the VFX in it. Yeah. And it's what type of VFX there. did you? Did so st- I stopped time. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So he. Got, I think that's on still on Vimeo. Yeah, we got. Yeah, yeah. I think it is. We got Vimeo. Yeah. Okay. What's it called? Cigarettes. Smoking Man. Smoking Man. It's not okay. Anymore, is it called? not? No, it's called. Um, it's called. Oh, what is it called? It's got a stupid name that I don't like anymore. Um, when did it get changed? Uh, I don't know. Um. What is it called? We'll find it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's on, is it on Diana's um, Vimeo? It might be, yeah. S- type in so, um, Diana. Diana. <laughs> Diana's video. Diana. That one. Diana. We need Diana now. Diana. Get Diana in. In Diana, the bank. If, you, if you're listening, <laughs> we need you to. No, I, I just completely gone what the title was. We'll we'll get it back. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or we'll edit it in either. But so did that uni, and then after uni, um, we also did a feature length film, which yeah. uh, was another thing that Stephen got involved in. <laughs> yeah. So we wrote and we, we we wrote and directed our own film. So and it was like a feature length one, which was quite good because for us, I think it was more a case of trying to see if we could do it. You know, because normally it's all short film, whereas we wanted to make a feature film. Sure. So we did that. Um, I filmed it because um, everybody else starred in it. So well, there was nobody else to film. The whole, if you're making a film, you need, you need, access, you need access to your sets and you know, to your locations. And so because to make it easier for us, we set it in our house so that we'd have, you know, we wouldn't have to set it up every day. We could just film every day. And it was easy if we just all appeared in it or acted in it, rather than got actors in who would, you know, we wouldn't know what their schedules were. So it was just like all these ways to kind of minimise on kind of like having to pay people or, you know, having to hassle. Yeah. So we did like that. So we would work and then film after work. Yeah. And what was the film called? Keep Shut. Keep Shut. Keep Shut. And how how long was this feature film when it was finally edited? 75 minutes. Oh, nice. Keep Shut. Can, yeah. where, where can this be found? Um, it's... I Ooh, don't, I don't know. know, actually. <laughs> I'd have to ask Ben, but yeah. that's definitely... I mean, there must be... Okay, we need Ben and Maria. <laughs> yeah, we need you here now. <laughs> but I wonder if this... Did we do a trailer? Is it oh, on, yeah, we did a trailer. Is it on YouTube? That's on the Facebook page, I think. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh. But, so, anyway, moving on. <laughs> yeah. 
Not that I'm not interested in your contribution, so, Stephen. Yeah. <laughs> like, nothing personal. All right, don't worry. <laughs> so, yeah, making loads of short films. Then we moved to London. I think that was our biggest thing. And that's something we always wanted to do because if you want to go into film, that's what you do. Well, that, that's how I felt. That's, that's the best way. Then I became a runner in the post-production house. And then from then worked in sort of the machine rooms, learn Avid, which is the primary, like the prime software we use. And then... So hang on, when you do VFX, that's still on Avid? or uh, Yeah, so some shows you do it on Avid. In some of the shows, you're lucky enough to get like After Effects and you could do it on After Effects, but a lot of shows don't pay for that. So you have to do the VFX yeah. in So After Avid. Effects is like your preferred platform or software. Um, yeah, but then sometimes it's kind of cool to use uh, Avid because you're not supposed... Like Avid is meant for editing. It's not really meant for... Um, VFX, but you can do some VFX stuff. So it's kind of cool when you actually make it work and you're like, oh shit, that really works. So <laughs> on an avid and then editing software. But um yeah, so it's quite it's probably more satisfying doing it in Avid. It's definitely a lot more time consuming. If you did it in After Effects, you've got all the tools ready. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty quick. So do you have like a speciality as a VFX editor? Like, I don't know, explosions or water um, or something like that? Not particularly. I do like, or no, I quite like, what happens nowadays is they tend to do um, like a lot of um, split screens that mm. you wouldn't notice because um, like sometimes they want like actors to talk over each other, but it wasn't filmed that way when they filmed it. So they will, because it's the, the camera is like still, you can just like, you know, split it in half. Right. But I quite like doing it so you don't see where the split is. I mean, it's really, like, minute, but it's quite fun. So you quite like the VFX that no one notices? Oh, yeah, definitely, yeah. Is there the invisible any, stuff. Sorry, are there any, like, VFX nightmares where you kind of see it go wrong and falling apart on film or TV that really bugs you? Um, yeah, there's there's some stuff, like, I mean, yeah, there, there is stuff that I pick out. And, like, especially if I'm watching something and I'm not interested in it then I'll look for any reflections because that's one of our biggest things like a lot of people decide to film in glass offices which is a nightmare because they'll open the door and then you just get all of the cast and crew <laughs> so like stuff like that I like to like yeah. pinpoint and see but I think my biggest thing is like when you can see that it's a VFX like sometimes you can like they'll extend the set above like you know they'll add to make the buildings tall and stuff and like mm. there's a slight coloring difference mm. and like I, th I don't think a lot of people would notice it but like I think when you're in that job you kind of see it and you're kind of like oh I can see I don't like it when it's obvious but I like the invisible stuff I mean there's one thing that uh, I think I've seen and an editor has pointed out to me um, it was a film that came out recently called Bohemian Rhapsody and there's a scene uh, by it's like the South Bank and like Freddie Mercury is supposed to come out of a pub and talk to like four or five people at a table and Aidan Gillen's there and like everybody probably knows, Aidan Gillen is like Littlefinger on Game of Thrones. Uh, uh, no, no, I don't know yeah, that. Except for <laughs> except for Cody, but no, the, I don't know either. The <laughs> the thing is, you've got this thing where there's a conversation happening around this like pub table, but you can see the way they've chopped up the edit, and they've always got the back of somebody's head. That <laughs> it's clear that two or three people weren't on in that room or at the oh, table okay. at the same time. Exactly that, that kind of became a cause celebrity yeah, yeah, when um, yeah. Bohemian Rhapsody won the Oscar for best <coughs> editing. Sorry, you got to say that again. So this became like a cause celebrity when um, Bohemian Rhapsody won the Oscar for best editing. 
and this clip surfaced on YouTube, like mm. saying, "How can this have won the Oscar for best editing?" Mm. So I haven't seen this, so oh, okay, this is gonna make it difficult. <laughs> we could um, we could do a time out, you know, watch it and give you a professional opinion. <laughs> but do you do you see How those? You got? <laughs> do you see those problems happening where like two actors can't be for some scheduling reason they are not on the film set at the same time and you have oh, to yeah, kind no, of work totally. around it. And then like, there's also reshoots. So, you oh. know, there might be a case of like, just you might reshoot someone for certain lines, but they might not actually be, you know, in the same sort of settings as they originally were and stuff. There's loads of stuff like that. And there's loads of moments where they'll, they'll film something and like, it's physically impossible to do the VFX. But because at that moment in time, it has to be shot like this, then you just kind of have to, you know, deal with it and you, you try and make it work. But there, there is a lot of shots that don't particularly work and, yeah, can cause all sorts of problems and all sorts of hassle. But, I mean, like, there's just loads of, like, there's, there was one show where we were missing a close-up of someone, like, was it? Oh yeah, it was like a like a family photo on a desk, and we ended up shooting it in the edit suite. There's a lot of like occasions where they'll film something on on even on their phone, just like a close up of something because that's what they're missing, and pull it in the edit. But you'd you'd watch it and you'd never know. But obviously, like you know, like obviously people who've cut it and stuff will know. But like just mental stuff like that, like. But who decides they need a close up? Is that the editor? And the director most of the time. And also it could be like, because obviously we give the the episode goes to producers and execs and everyone. So they, they might go, oh, you know, it'd be really good to have a close-up here. Or, you know, they'll give their inputs well, and stuff. Well, in general, producers always want close-ups of the stars, <laughs> don't they? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think you find mostly like the writers want close-ups of stars because they want their words being said, like, full, full-faced. I mean, I remember I went, um, Babs's boyfriend, Ben, I went and watched him edit one day. He was doing, um, I think it was Babs, the, actually the, um, the series about Barbara Windsor. Well, he was enough. editing that and he was asked to, um, something I'd know, I didn't think, I didn't know they could do was, so they had to like the short and then Ben had to put in a kind of, he had to use the editing software to actually put in a tracking shot, but where there was no tracking shot. Yeah. So, so I lot. thought that was very impressive to see being done. I, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't know you could do that. What's the technical word for that? What's that normally called? What, just adding a tracking yeah. shot? I mean, I don't know if there's a technical word. But like, there's a lot of time where like you, you'd want something that wasn't exactly shot. So like, for example, like you can punch in. Some, sometimes like, you know, it might have been shot, in, well, not wide, but like not quite like a mid-close-up, but you want to punch in closer, so you have to do that. But stuff like that, for me, like... Uh, in my sort of VFX brain, you kind of think shit like you can only like punch in a certain amount mm. and then it has to be a VFX shot because you get loads of noise and stuff. Yeah. But that's more technical. But, like, we so, like technical. <laughs> but like you get moments where like they'll punch in and then do like a little move because they wanted that kind of reveal, but it wasn't shot that way. So because if you've a, got a wide shot, if yeah, you move across, but it's you can exactly see what I was telling you before. Like we get the rushes and with that, we have to create something that works. So if, if at the time they didn't, do that kind of pan, mm. we can do that in the edit. Mm. It doesn't look as great because sometimes it just looks digital because obviously it is. Yeah. So sometimes you kind of like, sometimes I get a lot asked to do kind of a bit of a handheld movement yeah. because to make it look a bit more like natural. Yeah. Again, that's really hard to do. Wow. So, I mean, I think one of the things you're talking about, Stephen, is like, t 
turning a static shot into a moving shot. Yeah, like yeah. Punching yeah. in and yeah. doing a left to right. Cause, um, Actually, it was more of a kind of uh, focusing, what do you call it? Uh, zoom in. Yeah, zoom in. Oh, okay, cool, cool. It's more of a zoom in. So, Babette, would you consider that mistake on the part of the director to not think about how they want to shoot that scene beforehand? Not really, because, like, there's so many things they have to think about that it's, sometimes it's kind of difficult to to think about that. And a lot of the time, like, to get a really smooth, like, sort of punch in, you might have to get a rig. And so, like, that's, you know, extra time, health and safety and all that jazz. And, like, sometimes... The, the script half the time gets re-edited in the edit anyway. It's like rewritten and whatnot. So a scene that might have focused on one person in the edit might, they might, it might have shifted to another person because actually we feel more connected as a viewer to that person. So then, you know, that's then the, what's been shot was concentrating on that person. So now we need to concentrate on that person. So that would be maybe why we then have to kind of punch in and concentrate more on somebody else. So I don't think so. I think it's just there's just so many things to think about, and it could it's ever changing, and you have that possibility to sort of change it in the edit. So why not? Yeah. So that's kind of more than ever before, isn't it? That you have the power to change things that have been yeah, shot. Yeah, totally. You can change. Yeah, you can do so much. Like even with like the punching, like you could. Like, you know, you could have had that shot, but you could have punched way back and then turned it into a VFX and then just added a load of stuff around it, you know? Like, you can do whatever you want. And in in the sense, that sounds great and it's brilliant and it's a part of my job that I love because VFX, you can do, you can create whatever you want, but then sometimes it gets to the extreme where because you can create whatever you want, people just film whatever and then, it, it you know, you get that thing of, like, fixing it in the edit and it's actually quite can be quite costly and hard to fix it in the edit. So it can make filmmakers a bit lazy? Uh, I think it's, it's, it's hard work. It is different to what maybe it used to be. For example, like there's stuff like a lot of reflection in cars, a lot of reflection in glass and stuff like could have been picked up on set and could have been flagged on set and could have sort of been knocked on the head. And so the next shot, nobody could have been in the reflection sort of thing. And I think... A lot of those stuffs are getting overlooked because, yeah, we can fix it in the edit, but that costs a lot of money to fix it in the edit. As opposed to just moving everybody out and maybe not opening the door for the next shot, it costs a lot more money to then fix it in post. And we're talking about professional films. Yeah, like, like I've, I mean, I've never worked on film, but in TV it happens all the time, and I imagine it happens all the time in, in film. It's just a very common thing, but you can fix it a lot of, a lot of the stuff as well is like some boom mics in shot because people aren't people aren't looking for like looking at them and then yeah or starbucks coffee cups yeah or starbucks <laughs> coffee you get a lot of that as well like like if you know if you're filming like a you know a period drama or something and then you'll have like random stuff and you're just like well you know you can't have that modern bag in there or something Wow, sounds like they need you on set as well as well, in the edit the suite. Is, we they are we are on set. Like you get VFX supervisor, there are people on set. But the problem I think with VFX is VFX people tend to come on set when big VFX stuff happens, and then because of that, a lot we they get a lot of stigma of like because we're not part of the crew, because we only turn up, and then we then ask loads of really 
annoying questions like, can you move that bag? Or like, you know, stuff that they haven't thought about. And then we also add a lot of time to the prep because we have to think about everything and, you know, put up green screen or, you know, whatever. Realistically, we need to be on set from day one with everybody. So we're part of the crew. And um, I mean, not me personally, because I'm in post-production, but like somebody like a VFX supervisor needs to be, not a VFX supervisor, there is a word I can't remember. Anyway, some, somebody from the VFX needs to be on there on in the kind of the shooting process from the start. So they're part of the team. So then they can be like, oh, do you, do you mind just, you know, maybe not opening the door in this shot so we don't get, you know, like stuff like that, that people aren't always thinking about. But somebody who is in VFX and is thinking about that is on that. Yeah, I heard that was a good advice. Sorry, no, because I I heard that it was um, a show. I think it was called Primeval, and they had to do a lot of that where the VFX people were more or less directing the show because they had to explain where certain characters were being placed and where the dinosaurs were going to be. And like you said, there was an element where I think a dinosaur comes through a portal. I'm not a fan of the show, but somebody showed it to me. It was an but, ITV. Um, is ITV's answer to Doctor Who? Right? Yeah, yeah. And um, but, but there was this issue where I think a, a dinosaur has to come through a portal, which is inside an office. So the VFX people had to tell people where to stand yeah. because of the reflections of where the windows should be and mm. where the reflections of when yeah. you can and can't see the dinosaur. I mean, like, like people who are in VFX, that's their job. They know that sort of stuff, so mm. they they are they know how they work. So. Mm they are really helpful to have on set to be able to direct people in that sort of sense. And sadly, because obviously when you're just shooting a normal day shoot, they might not necessarily be needed. So they're, they're not, they're not sort of put on set, but like you say, like it's always good to have someone there because you never, you can't, there's stuff that you're not going to see. And they, sometimes you need that VFX direction. It's just yeah. similar to like, you know, you, for stunts, you might get a stunt director mm. to come in for that scene because they are used to doing the stunts mm. and directing the stunts. So they will come in to, for that scene to do that job. Because, um, I mean, I'm just before we move on, the um, I know you've got the green tennis ball thing for when they have to do uh, green screen uh, mm. capture. But I think, isn't it in VFX that there's a special glass ball there's the chroma ball. A chroma, is it chrome ball? So carry on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know what it is. I'm asking you because they, I, I was told that there was this ball that they have to put down, like hang from somewhere and it's like made of glass or you can see the reflection. So it's got a rotoscope vision of the outside or the surface of the location or the space of the location. So the VFX can add anything where they want. Yeah, so they have this kind of like, I think it's called a chrome ball. So one side is just grey like a matte gray and then the other side is a mirror so you get the kind of reflection stuff and then they also do like a color card so they can like you can match the color to the same colors as the scene and that is supposed to help them sort of you know work out the scene and that usually gets shot like after so you'll film the vfx shot and then somebody from the vfx team will will like pop on and do the little and then the car the color card and then okay go away and then if you're filming stuff like you know if if you're killing someone with like a pen then you'll have to shoot the pen from all angles so they can like you know turn it around and twist it yeah and stuff like that like if you're shooting like a knife being like stabbed into someone again they'll shoot the knife like we did Mm. an arrow scene in one of the so one of the oh so would like that kind of stuff never be a practical effect these days uh yeah i mean 
they they try and do as much practical stuff as they can I think well um, it depends on the show I think a lot of time it's time because it's quite time consuming to do a practical it's the best way to go forward because you get the most realistic look but um so the show one of the, sh the show that I worked on they did like an arrow scene and all the arrows were sort of rigged on lines on wires and stuff uh, or like in like a little kind of box where they'll just ping off the tree but then sadly there were still vfx shots because we would have to go in and remove the wires so like it's you kind of win some and you lose some really because you end up it ends up being vfx anyways i guess this is why i come in as subtle as a sledgehammer <laughs> <laughs> um so thank you first of all uh for all those lovely answers babs so i i have um a question and it goes as fourth. <laughs> <laughs> Can it take the build up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it's really going to fall flat now. Um, how did you get your break um, working on the TV drama, um, The Royals? Uh, so, um, so I worked in this post production house as a runner. Then in the um, <clears throat> in the sort of machine room, and then one of the runners there. I sort of showed her how to use the machines and like Avid and stuff like that. And then um, I kind of got a bit fed up of working in that post-production house and I sort of thought, do you know what? I'm going to give it all up and become a baker. Really? Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> so I, did, I did my boyfriend's sister's wedding cake and I thought, do you know what? This is my future career. This is where I want to be. This is what I want to do. What was the cake do. out of interest? What, what, what that would was? make you like flea back then. <laughs> so it was like a free tier it was a pretty epic cake like yeah. it was free tiers and like she's um celiac so mm. it was like gluten-free wow you should and, go on bake-off yeah. <laughs> well, i don't think of that yet but um so yeah so then i became a baker and worked for a, a baking a cupcake shop in um, london and i did that for a year but my boyfriend was still in the industry and like he'd come home and like the annoying thing is we'd also have different working hours because you're a baker you start work a bit earlier and i was home earlier and he'd work later and be home late so like it was really like like different hours and like i just i didn't feel like it was really what i, I kind of wanted to do because you ended up like what i enjoyed the most about baking is seeing people eat them and enjoy yeah, them and stuff yeah. whereas you don't you know when you bake them you don't actually get to see that mm. so um i kind of thought you know, with Ben like hearing him come home and telling me all the stuff that's going on I was like I kind of I do miss it but I kind of I don't want to go back to a company I want to do it freelance because it's I feel like you're a lot more appreciated being freelance, freelance and yeah. you yeah. know you're technically your own boss so you have more freedom in that sense and um the girl that I who was a runner and I helped teach Avid she worked on the Royals the first two series and she said I'll get you on Wow. So that's how. So it's interesting because it's and it's it's all about who you know and like it's who all you know. you know you don't like the the runner I helped out then then gave you my job and she mm. was above me and like mm. you know it's all those little connections you make you never know when they're going to come in handy. Yeah, definitely. So be nice to everyone. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Definitely. That's just a good motto Especially for life. especially yeah. runners because yeah. You just never know where they're going to end up. And like, and also they sometimes do a bit of a shitty job. So just be nice to them. How <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that they do shit jobs? <laughs> oh, they shit at their job. Not no, no, they do yeah. shit jobs. <laughs> yeah, their job is like really. Well, sometimes, like, I mean, yeah. it is still quite fun. Like you do feel like you're just working with your friends, but yeah. you do just end up making a lot of teas and coffees. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be amazing if a runner was 
doing a shit job and was also shit at that job. <laughs> <laughs> a shit sandwich. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> moving on. McMafia. Yeah. I really like that, actually. Uh, so that was a really good, successful flagship show for the BBC. That was one shot in, in the glass office. Um, so how did you get recruited and what were your your, your main duties for So McMafia, I got... So <clears throat> I was in between... So I, I did a cover work for McMafia. So mm. in, after the Royals, I got my next gig, which was the Terror. But in between the two... Mm. I had like a like a break, like a couple of months off. So when that happens, normally you try and find like little filler jobs to try and like cover you in between. And especially when you first start, you kind of want to be able to show that you've had constant work just yeah. to be able to kind of get into it. And so, um, so I did a couple of weeks like setting up the job and working with the editor. And I think, because um, I'm on the Facebook group, mm. And like a lot of the time they just post out looking for cover work and stuff like that. And then, so then you'll just be like, oh, I'm free. And then you send your CV and stuff like that. So I think the assistant who I was covering found me through that. And then I came on board, did the first two weeks and then went to the terror. But then I came back to McMafia after the terror because it was still going, it was quite a long job. And that, I did look after the VFX a bit on that one. Yeah. <clears throat> But there wasn't really that many. There was really like a handful. And um, and by the time I came on board, it was more like the end. So it was kind of more sort of making, sh like locking the episode, which means that the editors sort of finish and then giving the episodes to who needs it next, like the sound people to do the sound, the graders so they can grade it, the online so they can polish it off. Um, when, when you say you send out your CVs, do you literally send out a CV or do you just send a link to your IMDb page? I mean, my CV is pretty much like my IMDb page. Yeah. Like it's, um, it's cause it's all about who, you know, it's yeah. a case of like showing you've got that constant, constant work, mm. your job role and then who you worked with. Cause then someone will pick up your CV and be like, Oh, I know who so-and-so is yeah. and give them a phone call oh, and be like, okay. Oh, you worked with a bet on so-and-so. Yeah what was she like? And then you just got to hope and pray that they're like, oh yeah, she was really good. You mm. should hire her. Oh, that's really, that's really awesome to know. Um, so uh, final question for me. What was the weight of expectations working on McMafia for you? Because um, I came in like later on. I mean, at the start it felt, because obviously I was setting it up and it stuff, but then they had a lot of problems because they were shooting all over the world. They had a lot of problems. They hadn't set up how they were going to get the rushes to the editing suite because we were in London. Mm. So it was really hard to try and they, to get that. So to start off, it was just really hard to get rushes. So it was trying to sort like like sort a system out and downloading them and it taking absolute forever because obviously the internet's not great and the internet on their side because they're mm -hmm. some crazy place somewhere around the world. So So we're not talking we transfer or anything like that. Oh yeah, no, it wasn't. <laughs> it was like it was it was a software that we normally use just yeah. to show cuts to like execs okay. to other people. Yeah. Like it wasn't a software that you're supposed to use to download oh, and upload wow. like actual rushes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So Can you name was, the software? Huh? Can you name the software or is it Pix? classified? No, Pix. Pix. Hmm. P I C S. No, P I X. Okay. I never heard of that. Spare inside knowledge there. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I mean, it's not very exciting software. Like you end up using a lot of these different software, like Media Silo, yeah. Pix, and all that, and they're all very 
though, but how helpful because yeah. you need to get them. We can't, you can't use WeTransfer. WeTransfer is really frowned upon because obviously there's no security. Yeah, so yeah, no, I was just joking. I was just going to add it. I think a lot of people just, as soon as you say those words, people just have heart attacks because like, what? Like, anybody can access it. But yeah. Uh, uh, no, fantastic. That's brilliant. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's all That's all I've got. Okay. Um, I'm, apart from Keep Shut, I'd say probably Eva Terror is the best thing you <laughs> <laughs> worked on. Um, are you... Uh, Terror was amazing, but no one saw it. Does that annoy you? <laughs> um, do you know what? In, it kind wow, of works. that is a pointed question. You <laughs> were straight in there. It works in your favour because a lot, like the people who have watched it, think it's great. So there's it's like a certain group of people who think it's really good and have spread the word. So like people are like, "Oh, you worked on Terror. I hear it's really good, but I haven't watched it. But I hear it's really good." So because people haven't actually watched it and made their own judgment on whether or not it is really good people just think it's really good <laughs> so yeah it works in your favor yeah i mean it is it is great great how did you get involved in the terror in the so first place? the um when i worked on the royals the post super who's technically like your boss but so she they kind of overlooked the whole kind of post-production sort of uh, pro, uh post-production side of it she um she was going on to the work on terrace and normally what they they tend to do is like you know they'll they'll take some people and move them on to the next job if, if they have like holes to fill and that was a hole that needed to fill and i came on board okay was there any um so what was your exact role on the terror so that was my first kind of um introduction to vfx and um that was it was really good to do it on the terror because like there was a because they get stuck in the ice, but obviously there's a gradual, they can't just automatically get stuck in the ice because, you know, you see them kind yeah. of being like, you know, driven and stuff. So like they have to build up to it. So it's kind of like you had to know where, like what stage, like which part of the episode and what stage the ice was going to be at, where the big ice was, if it was on the left of the boat, on the right of the boat. And then like, obviously, like we had to kind of do loads of Google, like Google shirts on like loads of, like different skies, different ice, and like just getting the VFX back for that. So hang on, was like a hundred percent of the ice CGI? Oh yeah, like well, not hundred percent, but like I would probably say ninety percent. Like wow. a lot of it, it like it was shot in Budapest. It was shot nowhere near any bit of ice. Wow. So it was, uh, yeah, it was pretty, uh, pretty intense. But it's, um, it was good. It was. It was definitely like a learning curve and getting the VFX back from the company was just great because you got to see like how they worked and like what they did. And a lot of that is green screen that you see day in, day out. So when you get stuff back and you're like, oh, you know, it's just amazing to see what they do. Um, what, was, what was probably the biggest problem or your biggest um, challenge working on the terror? Um, I think it's with the team back. Because, um, which is like the creature that sort yeah. of haunts them. Um, because it was, um, we, we, to start it's off It's kind with, of a giant polar bear, isn't yeah, it? A yeah, giant polar bear, yeah. I'll give you that. <laughs> but because um, to start off with, they were only, he was only going to come in like three episodes. But okay. then he shows up in episode three. And then um, the tomb back was done by Framestore, which is a UK-based VFX company. Whereas the rest of the VFX were done... I remember they were based, but like like a company based in Europe. So 
we had to sort of like get the two talking together. So, you know, they, they would do the background and then Frames would do the foreground, like the, the creature and stuff like that. Why, so why, why, why did it happen like that? Why, why couldn't one company <clears> do everything or...? Um, sometimes it's time saving because okay. like um, if you if you go to one particular country, country one particular company because you know they're quite good at a certain thing like creatures and some, okay. or something like that then you know you kind of want them to concentrate on just the creature rather than oh yeah do the creature but also do the background it gets a bit yeah, sort yeah, of yeah. like you know there's more to it and stuff okay and a lot of the stuff at the tomb back is that like we had to use like previews which are just stuff like they make before like you know this is what it's going to look like so like you'll end up cutting things with um with the preview so like you go from like a really nice shot all like you know well lit and stuff maybe with a bit of green screen to then like this black and white shot so sometimes it's kind of hard to really like like visualize it come together but then when it does it looks great and it's like ah this is (laughs) what all the hard work came to from your personal point of view, what is some really good VFX that we can see in films that are out there right now? I'm a sucker for like science fiction, so I just love anything that's done in space because, again, like especially like spaceships, you can just create whatever you want with that and do whatever you want. Like I, I love Star Wars just because, again, like it's a made-up world such as such, and so you can build whatever, create it however you see fit because it's it's out of your like imagination and that's kind of what I like about science fiction is you can create this imaginary world but then at the same time I'm a sucker for like practical effects the ones that are done just like in camera like I think my favorite and it's a practical effect is the um the one in internal sunshine when Jim 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 Carrey is in the um the doctor's office and the camera sort of spins around and he changes outfits and position throughout that so it looks like there's multiples of him and then even mm. the bit where like he's tiny and and his mum is like big but that's just shot in camera because it's just the way things are and stuff like that but they did a great thing as well on youtube with lord of the rings for when frodo gets visited by gandalf yes at the house. and that's yeah. all practical mm-hmm. and that's all how they they and and the best thing about that as well is when the camera moved, they all rigged it up so the whole table moved. Wow. So they kept, so stuff like that I find fascinating because it's all done in camera and I think that works just the best because you can't, that's the real, like, it's actually, be, that's just real stuff. So it's, yeah. you can't I mean, fake that. It's almost anathema that you're recommending that, but it's true, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, I think you find though, it's quite funny because a lot of uh, VFX people will probably tell you the same, like I know someone who works in a VFX company and their favourite film is Forrest Gump because, mm. and that hasn't, that's not really well known for VFX. But I think because, because we work in it maybe every day and you see it every day that you kind of like the stuff that are done practically or done sort of not obvious because it's kind of nicer and it's different rather than the really massive like, boom, you know? Because sometimes yeah. you can go over the top and it... You just know it's fake, and it's like, oh, yeah, we just, yeah. Does um does Michel Gondry does he do um? He does a lot all of that. practical. I, well, I like to think so. I do love him, and I think he's I'm just great. thinking about was it Science of Sleep? Yeah, that's yeah. great. That's so good. He he does. I think he does a lot. Um, but um. Um. Also, Christopher Nolan, he kind of eschews um. What is he? Sort then? of CGI, doesn't he? 
I think he prefers to use real situations rather than visual effects. He tries yeah. to shy away from it as yeah. much as possible. But he does... Unfortunately, he's had some dangerous situations where trying to capture um, the real-time real action has led to injuries. And in one case, yeah. I think a death of a cameraman, unfortunately. Ooh. But um, yeah, he's steers away from... But I think Interstellar might have a quite a lot of visual effects compared to his previous films. Okay. Well, did he do Inception as well? Yeah. So that that building folded on itself or was that no, visual? No, they did do some of the rooms did actually move around. Yeah. They rigged yeah. it up. Wow, that's just mind-blowing. Isn't it? Yeah. We're just taking a minute to think about that. Actually, as a as a visual effects editor, which what would you say is your favorite Christopher Nolan film considering how he's traversed in and out of using that. What has he done? Can I check? Um, Inception, Interstellar. Yeah. He's done the Batman trilogy. Yeah, the Batman Memento. series. Memento. Memento's like hardly got anything except the for Prestige. the fact black and white. Prestige, Prestige has got a few effects yeah. in it, yeah. Which I have an issue with because I think films about magic should have no VFX. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The Prestige is really good, though. It is. It's probably <laughs> oh, my favourite um, of Sorry, Dunkirk. Yeah, you well. got the war one, yeah. 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 I, I, I do love Inception, though. I do absolutely yeah. love that one, just because there is... Yeah. Yeah. That. Is it the pleasure of like not being able to see the join, or is it the fact that they're doing very outlandish things with the VFX? I think it's the outlandish thing with the VFX, I think, mm. and like getting away with some of them, mm. I think is... Quite great, but also doing stuff like moving actual practical stuff as well, yeah. and actually moving the rooms. Yeah, and that works really well. Cool, cool, cool. I think Inception. It was one of the things where like members of the general public were talking about special effects. Yeah, which doesn't mm. happen that often. It happened with The Matrix. Yeah. It happened yeah. with Terminator Two. Yeah, but there aren't that many films where like the general public notice special effects or yeah. notice that it's been pushed on. Mm. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think also that was one where people felt like half hypnotised from watching the film because there was a drowsy element of coming out of these dream states. As yeah, well. that film hurt my head, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're coming yeah. yet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely hard to follow. Uh, can, huh? can I just ask a quick question? Uh, you said that the French school system doesn't really promote the arts, which blew my fucking mind because I'll tell you what, <laughs> I have this dream of moving to Paris buying a flat with nothing in it and just living as a bohemian dandy artist with just Wait, nothing. Wait, film was this? No, me. <laughs> this is the film, me. This, this is my, my this life. MKH, the yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, this is my life. But, so I think they really don't push the well, arts. I, I, I lived in quite a sheltered French little village. Oh. And so, um, like, my brother who's like dyslexic and can't write as well got bullied at school because by his teachers because he couldn't write as well and because he was clearly not academic. And I think if he'd stayed in the French schooling system, mm. he would have like not, they wouldn't have pushed, they wouldn't have really encouraged him to do anything creative. But because he, we then moved to England and he was pushed creatively, he's now like in China creating lighting for the world. But like, I think they... They, they just, well, especially, maybe not so much in Paris, so you could probably get away with doing your flat thing. But I yeah. think in like a small <laughs> little sheltered yeah. French village, it was just, like, like education was just seen as the biggest thing. And like, I mean, it was like 
10, no, 20 years ago. So maybe it's changed. I'm hoping it's, it's probably changed a happy because... medium, you know, with England where there's no emphasis on education. Just saying. Well, I, I, I don't even feel, feel that England pushes the art art side because they well, do I, nothing. I, they strip, thought... they strip in, they strip in art to the bone. Uh, now. Well, I was, well, I mean, what I enjoyed with the British system is the fact that you, I could do art, I mm. could do film, whereas that's not something I could have done. If, if I wanted to do film and arts at, in France, I would have had to go to uni, but uni in France is kind of slightly different and it's kind of seen as more of a lazy option. Really? What it was when I was oh, okay, yeah, yeah. like growing up yeah. and like that's what my mum and like my family would have thought, like they mm. wouldn't have thought much of me going to uni in France. But like, that's just my family and my little sheltered French life. Wow. So, so you're going to move to Paris, get an empty room, yes. live there, but then you're going to enroll in school? No, I was going to let the art find me. Oh, okay. I was going to just express my artistic side, just living in an empty... Because I, 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 I'm not really attached to the, the material. So, no, okay. Yeah, that okay. was my, my goal. You can let do me it. Know how it's it not goes. too late. Yeah, no, I will. I will. Absolutely. So with uh, Malachi talking about how to go to the ends of the earth to kind of find his or art... Or Paris. Or Paris. Um, what I would like to ask is... Um, how important is it to stay connected in the media industry and make connections for your line of work? I think it's very important. Like a lot of the time it's like networking, a lot of networking. Like we have like a special, like as editors or like editorial department and post-production, we have like summer drinks and Christmas drinks set up by like a, like a company that we work in. And that is purely set to sort of communicate with people and to, you know, talk to people. But because like I started off as a runner, I, I already knew some people. So it was kind of when I went into it and then, you know, I was like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm back in the game. Like they kind of knew who I was and they were able to kind of like push me forward. And it's a case of like, you know, if somebody calls you up and say, oh, I've got this job, then you can just be like, oh, I'm, I'm working, but I know so-and-so is free. So like, and then if you trust that person and they recommend somebody else, then you can kind of then think, oh, well, if that person's recommending that person, then they must be good. So it, it, a lot of the time it is about who you know. I mean, obviously if you're likable and you work well with people, that's great because then people will recommend you. And obviously if you know what you're doing, that helps, but it, it is a lot about who you know. So having a few degrees of separation is really good. What, sorry? Having that few degrees uh, of separation yeah, is yeah, quite good. Yeah. And um, like with you working in the film industry over the last few years, um, what was your opinion now about the arrival of like Me Too and that as a remedy for the problems that's been going on in the media industry? Um, I think it's quite interesting because a lot of the male directors that a lot of companies now try and hire female directors and that is great obviously but the problem we're having is because the the, the male directors are probably up to this standard because they've they've been bought they've not been bought but like you know they they've been given the little job you know you start off by doing like the short films and then you kind of work your way up and like you know they're up here but then the female directors might have done short films and then they get pushed up to here because they they haven't been given that kind of like you know the encouragement to then go to the next bit then they can they get sort of pushed up because people want right too quickly yeah because they want the female director and like obviously there's loads of female directors and they're great and they're but a lot of them are booked up. So then when you're running out of 
female directors you look for the ones that have done the jobs and then get promoted too quickly and then get thrown in this situation which is epic and then might not have the kind of groundings that they need to be able to kind of film such so do you think there should be more of an effort to nurture female directors to kind of let them scale up on project by project or yeah nurture like you know put them against people you know so like you know a director put them across next to someone like a cinematographer who is you know well known and good at their job not Mm. saying that a female director is not good at a job but like you know put them against someone who's who's good to kind of encourage them and be like, yeah, you know, let's do this, let's do that. We're going to miss that if we're not doing that. You know, like, yeah. don't just throw them in the deep end. So, like, build teams around yeah. them as opposed to there's a slot. And then going I think the problem is, like, and then encourage them because a lot of the time is they get on and they get promoted too quickly and they're, they're mm. not sort of supported up there. Mm. And then as soon as they do a mistake, that's it, they get crashed down mm. and they just get like thrown out. And it's kind of like, yeah, but you could have seen that problem and you could have nurtured that problem and you could have helped them. You could like, Hey, well, you know, we're missing this shot, you know, be good if we got this angle. Have you thought about this angle? Like, you know, work with them rather than just throw, like, you know, throw them a TV show. And then when they fail, just be like, Oh, it's all your fault. You know? So they just need support. So do you think there's this element of like productions being built up and like, when they realise we're probably not meeting this diversity inclusion, they think, okay, what role can we give them and just throw somebody in that role now and then see how it turns out. And then that they kind of get the full brunt of everything that's gone wrong, even though they were the last person onto the project. Is that what's happening? Sometimes, yeah. I mean, you get, you get that kind of... You hear stories of, like, editors sort of... Well, not that, directors sort of getting fired because they're not ready and mm. they, they get thrown in that kind of situation. And it's just, it is sad because then they, they get the, put the blame on and, you know, obviously if they're not ready for that, then obviously they're going to make loads of mistakes, but that not all the blame should be put on them. Like they yeah. need some, they need some nurture and, you know, build up to that kind of level. Okay. Definitely. But you, again, back to your story, you do see a kind of a shift where like, male directors who probably would have had a constant job um, struggling to try and find not struggling to yeah struggling to find the next job because people are looking for more of a female director Mm. so there is a bit of a shift definitely but I mean like I'm not I'm feeling it much because I'm sort of editorial yeah but um yeah there is there, there is a shift definitely and um, based on the experience and the level of projects you've been on so far, what advice would you give to somebody who's just starting out in film or perhaps starting out but specifically wanting to go into VFX? I would say start as a runner. So if you if you know what you want to do, so I, if you know you want to go into VFX, uh, go and work with VFX companies and learn the basics, learn how they work, learn how, you know, because I'm still learning, because I came from the editorial side, I'm still learning a lot about the VFX side that had I come from the VFX side, I probably would have been, would have known a bit more and been more secure in that sort of knowledge. But yeah, so if you know you want to go into VFX, become a runner in a VFX company and work your way up. Cool. And um, just coming back to your career specifically, what is the next project that you think you're going to be working on? So it's a Netflix show, 
10 episodes called Cursed, which which is written or like created probably by Frank Miller. He does... Um, oh, 300. Yeah. I think you did. It's Frank Miller and somebody else. Frank Miller or Sin City. Sin City. Yeah. yeah, Sin City, yeah. Oh, amazing. So he's going to do, he's currently doing like a comic book and um, which will coincide with the TV show. Got Frank nice. Miller and Tom Wheeler there. Tom Wheeler? Yeah. Cool. So that's exciting. Is that going to have a comic book aesthetic? I hope so. I'm not really sure because I haven't, yeah, I don't know how they're going to do it, but I hope it is going to. Because like Sin City 300, those yeah, are films that excited people. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how it's going to be filmed or how it's going to look, but I'm looking forward to getting stuck in. Wow, amazing. Wow, yeah. that's fantastic. And and after that, what would be the next ideal project for you to work on if you could choose any project at all? Uh, I don't really know. You kind of go for whatever happens, like what's around. I don't think there's a set thing that I'd like to work on because at the same time like there's you know there's stuff that I would like to be made into films or tv because you know I like the book or something but I I don't know if you want to work on something that you love because I think that sort of mm. trashes it a little bit yeah so I'm kind of just happy doing the next one and just working on so like for this one this show it's going to be animation isn't it no it's going to be it's going to have creatures in it so this is going to be the first well not the first because it's got the terror had a creature but um this is going to have multiple creatures like mythical kind of creatures and stuff and i've never done that before so that's going to be kind of cool to work on that nice so yeah so i it's whatever my next job would be after that it's just something that moves me up it's what i'm always looking for which is what this is going to do. Thank you. Uh, that was amazing, Babs. Um, that was a fantastic hour of insightful information about Thanks. the editing world and your very, um, um, your very promising career that's going to go up into the stars. I hope so. <laughs> you, got, you got my stamp anyway. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for having me and listening to me rumble for an hour. And I was going to say, like, um, you are welcome back anytime you want. Thank oh yeah, you. maybe yeah. you can even do a review sweat on a, a series for us, like Fleabag or something. Yeah, Sounds yeah, great. just 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 planting the seeds there. Hopefully, yeah, someone else will water that and it'll turn into a plant. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> so thanks, thank you again, uh, Babette, and um, I would like to uh, say thank you for my to my co-host um, Stephen. Goodbye, uh, Kingdom. Bye, uh, TJ. Ciao now, and of course Giovanni on the ones and twos. No ciao. And this is a goodbye for me, um, the illustrious, very capable, and never um, on time, MKH. Thank you. We invite you to subscribe as well. Geek Sweat is available on CastBox FM, and you can download the app to listen to us. If you want to support the podcast by generating an interview question, being a guest, or simply becoming a sponsor, please feel free to email film at instigateonline.com. This podcast thrives on listeners, so thank you for sharing your ears to show you we care. We watch films to save you hassle.